You're listening to Jenny Finch, crime writer, scholar, and commentator, with another classic book of the month on Southside Broadcasting. Crime writer. That means she authors the crimes. She's the mastermind behind the crimes. The first book for this year is Nomadland by Jessica Bruder. Jessica Bruder's Nomadland is a non-fiction book that contains all the elements of a novel. The result of months spent with the new nomads in the USA, it focuses on one woman, Linda. Once a married woman with a family and a rented house of her own, she has gradually moved from independence to living with her daughter and finally in a trailer. Her social security benefit was not even enough to cover her rent and she had never earned enough to qualify for a pension. Faced with financial disaster, she turned to an increasingly common solution amongst similar older people and decided to move into an RV, a recreational vehicle. In effect, she became a van dweller. Over several years, she moves across the states trying to save enough to buy some land and build her dream, an earthship home. This eco-friendly, self-sufficient dwelling would offer her a permanent and affordable house in the desert. The conversations grew intense, and they weren't limited to CheapRVLiving.com. Bob's site was just one node in a rapidly expanding network of internet gathering places where far-flung, low-budget nomads could learn from and support each other. The online community goes back to at least November 2000, when a mysterious figure calling himself Lance 5G created Live In Your Van, a Yahoo message board, with this simple introduction. Welcome. I wish to teach interested parties the technique of living in your van for the purpose of saving, what else, dollars. Obviously, this subject is best suited to the single male, but the woman can also learn. Categories, bathing, sleeping, parking, going to the bathroom, safety, avoiding detection, interior organisation, winter nights. After that, Lance 5G never posted again. Like a low-rent version of the watchmaker god devised by Enlightenment-era theologists, he built a world, set it in motion, and walked away. His creation grew without him, though, populated with what would become a tight-knit group of friends posting under such names as Van Gypsy and VW Tank Girl. Then came a problem. Yahoo decided to move all of its message boards to a new platform. Groups with absentee owners seemed unlikely to survive that transition. One of the most active members of Live In Your Van was a gregarious wanderer called Ghost Dancer. On January the 1st, 2002, Ghost Dancer was parked outside a McDonald's on Highway 41 in Vincennes, Indiana. In his home, a brown 1989 Ford F-150 pickup. He'd heard that the changeover deadline for message boards was the end of the day. He worried. Were his new friends already scattered across the country about to lose their clubhouse on the internet? Not knowing what would happen was eating him up, like the build-up to Y2K, writ small. Yet, he had done nothing to prepare. When the solution came, it seemed obvious. Why not create a new gathering place before the old one went dark? 
To do this, Ghost Dancer couldn't just stroll into McDonald's with a laptop. For starters, he didn't own a laptop, and Wi-Fi hotspots wouldn't be ubiquitous for another few years. So he jury-rigged an internet connection between the payphone and the limited equipment he carried in the truck. Freejack style, he called it. The setup relied on a Connex acoustic coupler, a device that attached to a payphone handset to receive and transmit analog data by holding a microphone to the earpiece and a loudspeaker to the mouthpiece. The other end of this coupler was plugged into a web TV box, which had a built-in modem and offered basic browsing services. Such boxes had started appearing in the mid-1990s, when computers were more expensive and less intuitive. To save space, Ghost Dancer had hung the web TV from his CB radio. From there, it was connected to a 13-inch Philips television sitting on the passenger side floor. After hours of fiddling with the setup, he fed 35 cents into the payphone to get online, then logged into Yahoo and started a message board called Van Dwellers Live in Your Van 2. He was proud of that success, a bit of cyber MacGyvering that became a well-worn tale and led one popular blogger to call him Van Dwelling's founding father. There are a number of employment opportunities for these new nomads in the States. They, they are all temporary and mainly very low paid. Many jobs are in the parks and nature reserves scattered across the country. Camp hosting offers a legal parking space for the RV, access to basic amenities and a very small salary in exchange for booking in visitors, cleaning and tidying the site, simple repairs and dealing with complaints and queries. Like many of the positions open to the nomads, there can be a lot of unpaid extra work and the returns are small. RV dwellers are also the backbone of Amazon at Christmas time through their Camper Force program. Thousands of nomads gather in large parks surrounding the main warehouses, some up to 35 miles away from their place of work. Employed for about 15 weeks from October to Christmas, they do the picking, sorting and packing of orders. Shifts are long, about 12 hours and they often walk in excess of 10 miles a day. Nomadland describes this gruelling schedule in a very factual manner, allowing the reader to draw their own conclusion. But it includes one startling fact. The company provides free vending machines for painkillers on their sites. Two more days of driving would put Linda and Gary in Campbellsville, Kentucky. There, they would spend the next five months working 10-hour night shifts in an Amazon warehouse. For Linda, the job was all about earning money to start building her home. Her heart was set on that. But as I thought about the remoteness of the land, along with the dizzying summer heat, armed drug mules, flash floods and rattlesnakes, I wondered, was the plan insane? In three years of mulling over Linda's dream, I'd had doubts before, but mostly I'd shared the mantra of Fox Mulder on the X-Files. I want to believe. Later, I sent Linda some notes with what I'd learned about the area, both good and bad, admitting my worries. I also emailed her a map with pictures of her land and its surroundings. She didn't answer the first message, but did write back from Amazon to tell me how happy she was about the photos. I open them often and dream of being there, Linda said. I hate this job, and that helps to keep me going. 
15 more weeks and I'll be free. Meanwhile, other concerns gathered in the pit of my stomach. Would Linda's body hold up to the rigors of construction? I thought back to her first tour with Amazon in Fernley, Nevada, and the dizziness that landed her in the emergency room from the repetitive motion injury she got from wielding a scanner gun. Her wrist had taken three years to heal. What if she got hurt again? Amazon had since switched to lighter barcode scanners. Maybe that would help. I also worried that the job might wear her out. Though Linda was initially assigned to work as a stower, shelving merchandise, later in the season she told me managers were considering transferring her and other camper force labourers to more strenuous positions as pickers, collecting orders. The year before, one picker had worn a Fitbit to work, she'd tell me. On a single day, it logged 18 miles and 44 flights of stairs. Even if Linda made it through her tour at Amazon, would she be able to save up enough money to start building the Earthship? The last time she worked for Camper Force, her base wage had been $11.50 before add-ins for night work and overtime. Now it was $10.75. Linda had initially worked at the Fernley facility, which offered better wages than some of the other Camper Force locations, but that warehouse had closed in 2015. I also worried about her morale. During Linda's first season working for Amazon, she had seen up close the vast volume of crap Americans were buying and felt disgusted. That experience had planted a seed of disenchantment. After she left the warehouse, it continued to grow. When she had downsized from a large RV to a minuscule trailer, Linda had also been reading about minimalism and the tiny house movement. She had done a lot of thinking about consumer culture and about how much garbage people cram into their short lives. I wondered where all those thoughts would lead. Brunda looks at the broad spectrum of people making up this new stratum of US society, from ecologists to folk singers and modern hippies. But the vast majority are retired middle-class people. The housing boom and subsequent crash wiped out their savings and left them with a huge debt, a negative mortgage and no way to pay. Many walked away from their worthless houses with nothing. Some suffered losses in divorces, and many lost their savings to insurance or equity investments. It is an alarming scenario, and one that could repeat it in other countries only too easily. Despite their fundamental differences, these diverse groups mingle and blend well at work, and at the large annual gatherings, there is music and dancing, storytelling and communal dining. The nomads offer help to new arrivals, advice on good and bad work schemes, and information on where it is safe to stop for a few days. Nomadland was made into a film in 2020 and won three Oscars, Best Director, Best Picture, and Best Leading Actress for the excellent Frances McDormand. It has been criticised by some as being too scatological in places, but life without any of the amenities we take for granted in Western society is very different and much, much harder. This book presents that life in all its struggle, poverty and delight. There are many compensations in swapping a house for an itinerant life, 
and there are many alternative forms of houses to consider. Linda survives and even thrives on what could seem a crushing misfortune and the thread of her search for her new home, the Earthship, adds a hopeful narrative to this well-researched and written book. There we are, uh, Nomadlands, the opening uh, session for 2022. And we do indeed have two Americans to actually uh, connect with us on this one, which I think is particularly interesting. I'll be honest, right from the off, I found this a very tough read. Let's turn to Rob Nichols, though, to start off with. Rob, what are your thoughts on this Jessica Bruder epic? It was, um, <clears throat> I think you mean a tough read from the point of view of um, seeing a whole sector of society kind of disenfranchised and and they've worked all their lives for something and then it's it's taken away from them and they are going to be pushed from one place to another but the spirit these people show the resilience and um, the invent the inventiveness um the the different gatherings all the great the, the great names they have for, for all the different things that they do um it, it, it gives some sort of hope in a way. It's, it's a terrible situation, and and it and and it's fantastic that the book and the film has has brought their lives into focus. And it must have been a shock for so many people, especially in America, to to realise what those people are doing, and 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 that that van that they might might have seen parked at the end of their street, what, what was going on there, um, and and also to think about. Um, Amazon and and what they're doing and the rights and wrongs of it, but it's, I thought it's brilliantly written because, as Jenny said, it, it it leaves it it leaves it to the reader to decide what they what they think, and 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 she it's it's it must be a very difficult thing to write, um and to sort of it's a bit like some a war reporter that goes that 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 uh, gets enmeshed in 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 that situation. Without uh, the, without again, without disturbing it in any way, it's a bit like um, Star Trek's their mission where they can't they can't they can't change anything <laughs> on on other planets or anything, and that's the way it comes across, doesn't it? That she's just reporting what's going on, um, and finding some finding incredible humanity in a in a in what is often a desperate situation. Yes, I mean, the non-interference directive, I think, is interesting, but certainly looked at in the scheme of, of this particular text, I thought there was a deep irony, and I certainly wasn't immune to the irony of reading it on my Amazon Fire Kindle, uh, whilst actually sort of reading about the horrendous, absolutely shocking conditions that Amazon employees are actually trapped by, and indeed the, the kind of conditions that we were faced with. And we're talking about people who are in their 60s and, and 70s and so on and so forth. Uh, you talked about war reporting there, somebody who wishes to go into peace, conflict reporting, etc. That's why she's doing her MA in journalism at the University of Lincoln at present, is indeed our Miami and New York soul, Kathy Manso. Kathy, what were your thoughts on Nomadland? Uh, it was, I don't want to say relatable because obviously I don't know what it's like to live in an RV, but um, it's, I guess the humanity part is relatable, if that makes sense. Like I, the first pages when I started reading it and she starts describing Linda May and she was living with her daughter in Mission Viejo, I reported there when I first left college. And when I left college, it was during the time that this is being written and it was after a recession. I went into college in 2009, right after the recession, kind of thinking, 
let's hope for a job. <laughs> and then ironic, uh, or not ironically, um, <laughs> realistically, what ended up happening was I went home, couldn't get a job, applied to a hundred different applications, like in the story, like so many other people did. And then I moved to California, drove across the country, which took five days to do that and started as an unpaid internship. And you start reading all these things and it's relatable in the sense of like, everyone's trying so hard to make the best out of a really, uh, terrible situation and what's nice to see is that they really are making the best out of it they're they're still living life and they're still having these really precious moments that you're really like fortunate to read about as well as taking in a lot of the bad that goes with it you know um like how do you get prescriptions or things when you don't have an actual address you know how do you get uh your security check when you don't have an address you know that's it brings in a lot of questions as well as you know comments to it and again that that sense of being uh, houseless as opposed to being homeless and the, and the sense that was being put forward as though this was the future i mean when we actually a few years ago uh looked at steinbeck's uh of mice and men uh and uh you know we saw that very much encapsulating the or encapturing uh the period of, of depression america i think one thought well okay historical tract let's hope we never go there again and yet actually this seems to be around the corner jessica you're living in north carolina at present thankfully not houseless and and let's say from that point of view what are your own thoughts on, on this particular uh narrative yeah so this is i guess it's quickly read um because it is such hard subject matter to kind of look into but i'm i'm glad that we're able to um i was eight or nine years old um when the 2008 recession happened so it's it's like when I when I hear about it it's like I know that it, I I can't I don't like have memories of it um like I my memories are of elementary school and um worrying about like sparkly pencils and like my backpack and what was for lunch and things like that <laughs> um, you know and do my like fractions homework um so it's it's very um interesting and a, a grim way to kind of hear about how that really affected so many people um and I think also it's interesting to see how that translates to now because I feel like there's this um phenomenon happening with especially like younger people where living in a van is um kind of being turned into this like aesthetic almost online where you see a lot of people showing off like a van life and um I feel like it kind of sweeps experiences like this under the rug. They tend to be ignored a bit more in favor of the more glamour shots of like people's vans, tra like traveling around to national parks um, to sightsee where it's more of a, a choice for a lifestyle um, rather than being forced into it and it not being something that they would wish for. Um, and I think the, the book also highlights something about hope and also about um surviving versus living because I think that um so often those two things are conflated but they're very different and I think that everyone in their life has had some point where they're surviving rather than just living maybe it's dealing with family issues or mental health or financial problems where you you feel like you're not really getting able to live life like a person should and you're more just focused on surviving to the next day and, and having to think about those things so um I think that is something very important to think about with our own lives and something that this book brings up and just how 
how precarious it also makes everything feel, <laughs> um, especially like from the perspective of living in the U.S. Because I feel like I don't know enough about economics to understand like economic structures. I hear people talk about capitalism things a lot, but I still get so confused over um, what they are and their impact. So it's it's um, a little scary hearing this. And uh, like a month ago, my dad was talking about how different retirement was for my great grandparents, like how they were able to retire and have like a study fund where they were able to kind of keep themselves afloat. Um, but that's not really a thing anymore. And there isn't that security. Um, so yeah, it's very disturbing, especially like going into the job market soon and trying to understand like the beginning of a career. And um, yeah, I feel like it translates to it's something about other people, but it becomes very personal when you read it, even if you haven't experienced what they have. Oh. Um, Jenny, you've listened to to some of our, our views that I think very perspective, are very perceptive uh, views from that point of view in terms of the, the perception of this. Um, again, that notion that, Je- that Jessica was saying there about how, and this is alluded to in the book, that retirement has kind of shifted as far as we could probably arguably now say, what's retirement? Well, yes, I mean, there is a joke that writers tell when they get together and it's, have you got a retirement plan? Yes, I have. I'm going to write a book and publish it and write another one and publish it. And in the middle of the third one, I'll probably drop down dead. <laughs> and I, I always thought it was mainly just writers, but it's getting to be most people. I think Um, I'm very fortunate that we worked and put all our money away and didn't spend it on anything that we didn't have to. And we can just about manage as we are um, for the moment. But I'm still just going to keep writing and we'll drop down dead in the middle of a book at some point, I think, because it's very hard to retire now. And it's almost harder for younger people than it's been for us, a lot of who have lost a lot of their pensions the way a lot of the Americans have. The financial markets have just gobbled up everything and the difference being I, I would have thought it's much more difficult to actually adopt this lifestyle if you were based in Britain because uh, again that uh, uh, traumatic knock at the door would probably be happening a lot an awful lot more if you happen to sort of have a a, a van or something or something set up sort of elsewhere I mean Rob I mean you know, we talked about homelessness before I mean it clearly is is a big issue it shouldn't be an issue but it is a big issue uh, yeah. I'm not referring to the magazine of course but but in terms of that what other sort of things came out of, of the text for yourself? Well, I think I think it was going back to to the uh, to the to to it as a book. It's brilliantly handled that there's so many characters and so many personalities in the book, and that you don't um, feel like that you're lost. You don't forget who anybody is. You, you can follow you follow a lot of, of life, lives through the book and get to understand where a lot of people are coming from if not going to perhaps and so it's 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 brilliantly brilliantly done from that point of view because if you if you think about that number of casts in uh, a cast of characters in in a, in a fictional book you would think that was too many people wouldn't you surely but it's interesting having looked at the film and I know we're not we're not talking about the film as such but Chloe Zhao when she did the movie I mean the issue that I had with the movie was not that it wasn't very well shot it was very technically fantastic but I did feel that actually the mix and match of professional Academy Award-winning actresses being worked into real-life people. I, I, I just thought there was, there was an issue with respect to that that somehow I kind of felt a little bit awkward with. In the same way as, again, something that made me feel very awkward, which is just touched upon, uh, but still it is, it is a, a significant part of the book, which is 
the lack of persons of colour or non-white individuals who are seen in this lifestyle. I mean, I don't know, Kathy, if you'd picked up on that, but, you know, suddenly, I mean, I appreciate that the Black Lives Matter movement, movement had kind of emerged after this was published and so on, but it was almost predicting that kind of issue that it's tough for white people. But if you sort of have somebody who happens to be an Asian or a Mexican or and in all of those sort of situations, it tends to think, I mean, you know, I'll be blunt. My desire to visit America has kind of taken a, a huge tumble downwards on the back of this book because I'm thinking, what? Well, uh, the thing is, I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, if it's un unfortunately, well, fortunately for your position, but unfortunately for so many other people uh, who are black or Latin or just doesn't look like a white person, you would be safe in the sense of traveling, right? It is much safer for you to travel compared to someone who is black. And that's the concern. And that's why I think there's a lack of black people that are mentioned in this book. Like you will read reports if you're in the United States, especially in areas where she was in, like in Arizona, uh, where someone got shot by a police officer because uh, it was a routine check and they were black. Instead of if you were white, they would be giving you a warning, say, hey, watch out, do this, and then kind of let you go on. And those sort of stories are very repetitive. I mean, I remember throughout the years of 2014 and 16 when I was reporting, those were very common stories to hear about someone getting shot uh, during that time just because it was an unfortunate incident. And I mean, now it's only becoming apparent as to how wrong it is, but it's always been there. And I, it's not to say that it should just you know, this kind of lifestyle should be segregated to one type of person. Of course not. People do this when they can, but it, you got to ask yourself, what is the risk and is it worth it? Right. Um, and if you are a, unfortunately, if you are a black person in the United States, is it really worth you going to travel across the country to different parks when you have to deal with so many different obstacles? Or is it better for you to kind of stay put and know your community and know your area and work with what you got? And that's kind of the question any individual has to ask themselves too. Yeah. Let's talk about the other significant um, issue with respect to the book, and that's the slave labor conditions of Jeff Bezos's company, which I suppose has enabled Jeff Bezos to actually fund trips to space and, and take up William Shatner as well to continue the Star Trek analysis thereof. Um, but actually, if you look at it from the point of view of what's the fundamental difference between the conditions that you get within sweatshops in the Asian companies and, and what you see in America, I mean, I, I again, I'd heard about it. I'd heard about the banning of trade unions within Amazon, etc. I mean, Jessica, is this a company which you sort of feel, yeah, that's that's America at its best, basically? I don't think anyone in their right mind could say that. Um, but I do think that there's a reason why um, products that are locally made and that cost more are quickly being overtaken by the monolith that is Amazon um, because it's so tempting and it's so so easy when you see a product on Amazon like books for example like Nomadland would be so much more expensive in a bookstore than going back to Amazon and buying it for like ten dollars cheaper um, and that's a very scary thing um, and I think like all of us are using some form of technology right now and most likely that was also made in horrible conditions. And that's something in society right now that's, it's very hard to ethically consume everything. 
Um, and I think Amazon is especially like making that apparent where everyone agrees like, oh yeah, this company is doing awful things, but then we still go back to them um, because it's so much more convenient. Um, and I feel like also someone with financial problems, um, they don't, they can't like afford to buy the ethical option um, because they would have to go to Amazon to buy the cheaper option because that's what they can afford. It's like, you're being trapped into it um and it's kind of perpetuating a cycle that's just pulling more people in and it's it's ruining small businesses and it's just like ruining economic diversity there's such little competition um with so many fields and that's a really scary thing um yeah so (laughs) i think most people are aware that amazon is not this um really great like company with no faults it's there's there's so much darkness going on um but it's just how do we stop that because it's very hard to tell millions of people around the world to boycott Amazon (laughs) Um, when sometimes they depend on that to get certain things so it's a very difficult qualm and and of course the whole essence of the American dream which is alluded to in this book which is that expansion the pioneering spirits the go west to seek your fortune and so on there's also the suggestion that actually Linda herself, the character of, of Linda, or the person that is Linda. Um, Jenny, do you know what happened to her in, in the end? I mean, is there a sort of general line from this? No spoilers, of course. We, we get a, to a certain point in the book where she seems as though she's going to achieve her her ambition, but uh, has there been any follow-up at all that you, you, you kind of in, in, uh, encountered? I haven't been able to find anything. No, it, it looks very hopeful. That would be good. It looks very hopeful, but I haven't been able to find out what happened. Is that, I must admit, part of uh, my, my reason for asking, was it crossed over with your own experience in terms of the shift to Tipperary and, and the line from that point of view? Although I don't think you'd ever intended to actually build a, an earth house uh, at the side of things. Like you, you hadn't gone that far down the line. No, um, de- dealing with the wood is more than enough and dealing with the, uh, to, to a far lesser extent than the RV dwellers, but dealing with the lack of basic amenities is uh, equally difficult here, I have to tell you. Kathy, mm. is this a lifestyle that would appeal to you? I mean, you said you've obviously driven across America, you headed to California to go west, young woman, in search of, of, of fame, and now you've ended up coming east to the University of Lincoln. <laughs> um, you know, I, I love driving. So it is something that has always enjoyed, like been a part that I would have enjoyed. Now to do the things that they're doing, that's hard. I mean, <laughs> you, you can only acknowledge what, you know, the sacrifices that they're putting in exactly for survival. Um, and I kind of agree with what Jessica was saying earlier about how people our age, you know, in their 20s and 30s are kind of picking up this lifestyle to go travel around the country, uh, renovate a van and do it, and they kind of glamorize it. And it's not to shame them, because if you can do it, that's an excellent experience. And you, you get to meet so many people with so many different perspectives. And I think you really do unite with them. But uh, <laughs> definitely uh Something that I would enjoy to do as a vacation, but not as a lifestyle, I think is the right way to go about that. Kind of classic nice place to visit, but wouldn't want to stay there, perhaps. <laughs> um, Jessica, what about yourself? Is, is it something that appeals to yourself? I mean, is, is the Burtis family going to say, right, we're going to do away with the house right now. We're just going to actually get an RV and go off from there. I, um, I do love hiking and I love the outdoors. I love mud and being out in the weather and just everything out in wilderness um for a time 
I I am not handy at all. I think especially something that I didn't realize like, hadn't thought of, and it seems so obvious. But the amount of like issues with cars and how that can affect like massively, like you're already tight financially, like how bad that can be. But I would not be able to do any of that. I think I maybe get 20 miles outside of the out of my city, and <laughs> I wouldn't be able to go any further. Um, so I think that this also shows like how much endurance these people have. These people have. Um, to do what they're doing and how these individuals are so uh, resilient because I think a lot of people, even if they wanted to do this, they, they would struggle. Um, so I think it says a lot about them that they do this. We've talked a lot about resilience of, of students and uh, uh, staff in the NHS in, in Britain and in other countries during the, the pandemic. But I think this is this is true resilience. What about yourself, Rob? I know you go on lots of architectural digs and so on. Uh, this is probably taking it to the, to, the, to the nth degree. Is it something that you would ever have considered? Yeah, no, I like my um, home comforts. I think it's fair to say. And uh, yeah, I do do some digging, but I don't... Um, I've I've avoided going around the country in a van and 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 living like some of the diggers do. I prefer to just travel from my house <laughs> to, to to the site and then travel home again. It's kind of like it's kind of like the whole life has been shifted upside down, isn't it? It's the sort of thing that people would choose to do uh, when they're younger, not think of it as an outcome that they're forced into when they're older. And I suppose as um. As you say, Alex, there's there's a lot of warning signs for for people in Britain. Um, it would be very, as you said, it would be incredibly difficult to do here. But there's warning signs. Don't let it go that far in in this country. Don't get rid of all those safety nets. One thing for sure is a lot of people in the last year or a year and a half or so in Britain, uh, when they've not been able to go abroad, have got camper vans and have um, driven around Scotland and the like, um, spent weeks doing it in something that they would never have thought of doing. Again, they're able to do that. And I do know it's, it's a bizarre thing, but uh, I have a friend who is working in Amazon and he is working in Amazon to buy um, a mobile home to be, able to, to be able to retire and drive from his house whenever he wants. So it, it's a bit of a, I think I've got to recommend this book to him, but... We, we know, we're in a place now where we've got two really big Amazon distribution points, one about 20 minutes from here at Darlington, another one about 20 minutes, Spennymore, and a third one that is being built at this moment, which is about say, 10 minutes from my, from my, from our door to, to, to get there, which will, I think it's going to employ about a thousand people. So it's, it's something that um, Amazon's having a really, really massive impact at the moment. Um, and for that guy who's who's working there to to to, to fund his mobile home retirement um, plan, he it's all working very well for him. He said that the, the hours suit him perfectly, and and the whole the whole lifestyle suits him. But I don't know. And he is actually coming up to I say he's very close to retirement age. He'd actually he had he had actually retired to take that job. And he said that they're the only people, uh, the older people that that stay there for for any length of time. The others move on so um yeah it's <laughs> it brings a lot of thoughts but I, I i wouldn't choose to i would not choose to be a nomad no extraordinary um okay well before we find out what the upcoming text is going to be we're going to do uh, a, a session which has certainly opened up a whole heap of questions as i said at the start i found this a very tough 
uh, or reads to actually work my way through. Um, I don't know, just maybe it was just a, a sort of choice of this. Curiously, uh, it's just part and parcel of the whole thing. But let's let's endeavour to actually score this. Uh, Rob, what's your score for Nomadland by Jessica Bruder? It's nine out of ten. And Kathy? Oh, absolute nine out of ten. It's very honest, very true. Okay. Jessica? Yeah, I'd say a nine and a half out of ten. Um, very thankful to have read it. Yeah, I'm I'm not quite as as, as sort of sad. I'm gonna go seven and a half actually in this particular instance, because again, I feel maybe it's a hard-hitting piece. It's a very journalistic piece, and it works on that basis. And it's a 10 out of 10 for, for, for journalism and research. But in terms of the narrative, again, I found it was, it was tough to actually work through. Jenny, what about yourself? I'll give it an eight and a half, partly because we don't know the ending, which is Exactly. <laughs> that again, it's just like life. Uh, okay, so we can go for... Which choice are you going to go for, Jenny, for the next book of the month for February? I think next month for February, being a short month, we'll go for The World According to Anna by Justine Garda. Interesting choice for a moment. I, curiously, I did actually start reading the Ken Follett one and uh, have already got halfway through it. I think it's excellently written. Having said that, I've seen some of the reviews on that uh, website that we spoke about several times today, and uh, it's certainly divided opinion, shall we say. But uh, perhaps the world, according to Anna, whilst it deals with the future and the past, no spoilers, uh, could well be a sort of way of dealing with climate change as well. So The World According to Anna by Justine Gardner, uh, to Rob Nichols, Jessica Burtis, Kathy Manso and Jenny Finch. Keep on reading. You're listening to Jenny Finch, crime writer, scholar and commentator, with another classic book of the month on Southside Broadcasting.